When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Thank you, Lizzie. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we, we, we come before you now and we, we ask for your help. And we ask... <coughs> that you would show us the Lord Jesus. We ask that you would grant us the faith to entrust ourselves to him. Please help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how do you feel as you look ahead to 2024? How do you feel as you look ahead to, to a new year? And perhaps more specifically, are things going to get better or worse this year as you look ahead to this year? Actually, that's one of the questions that Hope Explored course um, starts up with. As you look ahead, are, are things getting better this year or worse? How about for you personally? It's one thing on a global scale to kind of think of wars and climate change and Elections and all of those kind of big macro things are thinking very well. How about for you personally today, in your own life, in your family's life? I think it's going to get better or worse for you. Actually, 
how we answer that question is, is hugely impacted by our life experiences so far. Even those of us who've had pretty sheltered lives so far will have had our share of despair and disease and disappointment. But week by week, as we gather together as God's people, as we sit under his words, we come to a book that is realistic about the darkness that there is in this world. But it is also a book of hope and not a kind of flimsy, wishy-washy kind of hope against all the odds kind of hope, a concrete hope, a hope that is based on true events, a hope that will not disappoint, that that is centred on a person. At the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, chapter one, Matthew says this, uh, This is uh, Joseph. An angel appears to Joseph in a dream telling him about the son that his fiance is pregnant with. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will give him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. After hundreds of years of of darkness and of waiting, a baby is born. God is sending his long-promised rescuer king who who would deal with our sin, who would usher in a new kingdom, who would restore all things. And Matthew is writing his gospel to show his first readers and to show us today that Jesus is that promised rescuer king. Um, just as as we start a new series it's helpful sometimes to get a a kind of overview of of uh, of how a book is kind of structured and put together i don't know if you've come across the bible project before the bibleproject.com um you can get all sorts of really helpful short um walkthroughs of of different books so i've pinched some graphics from that to help us here so the the structure of, of matthew Um, sandwiched between sections on his birth and on his death and resurrection there's five main blocks carefully ordered carefully shaped by Matthew and and these blocks there's alternating sections of, of teaching from Jesus and action narrative And last year, we looked at the the first main teaching block that there is in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters four to seven. We looked at the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is announcing his kingdom that he's here here to bring in. And we saw it's an upside down kingdom. The meek are the ones who are going to inherit the earth. Those who mourn are the ones who who are blessed. And in those chapters, he sets out how we are to live in the kingdom that he's here to to usher in. And in this section that we're starting today, uh, we we see Jesus bringing in his kingdom. He's he's come down from the mountain where he's been delivering this sermon. And and here we are in chapter eight. He's bringing in his kingdom. And who does he connect with first? Who are the... Who are the ones that he he connects with, first of all, after in in Matthew's gospel, after the Sermon on the Mount? Well, today 
we see three outsiders that he connects with, first of all. And our time this morning, we're going to look in turn at these three outsiders and to see what it shows us about uh, the king of the kingdom and, and, and his kingdom as well. So first of all, we meet this leper. And we don't know too much about this guy. We don't know exactly where he's from. But we do know he's got leprosy. And leprosy is a brutal disease. Absolutely brutal. So in, in the ancient world, it was probably the most or one of the most feared diseases you could get. Highly contagious, incurable, and for the most part, fatal. It literally devastated people. And it had huge social and even religious implications. If you were a leper, you were cut off from society. You were cut off from your friends, from family, from work, from the temple even. Some described it as a living death. And at that time, lepers were, were quarantined on the outskirts of, of towns and, and villages. But here, this man has come into town to seek Jesus out. Actually, he's, he's risking getting stoned by, by doing this, by coming to seek Jesus out. <coughs> but it's fascinating, isn't it? Stories of, of what Jesus has been doing in the region have been spreading. Jesus has got a reputation. And the stories have spread even to the lepers on the outskirts. And you can, you can picture the scene here. Crowds pouring down from the mountainside, talking about all that they've heard, what they made of it all, all of the things Jesus had been saying. And then perhaps those crowds parting faster than the Red Sea as this leper makes his way towards Jesus. He falls to his knees before Jesus and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. It's a fascinating question, isn't it? There's no doubt in his mind that Jesus is able to do what he's asking him. There's no doubt in his mind that Jesus is powerful enough to heal him. What he doesn't know is whether whether Jesus is loving enough to do it. I wonder if if you've ever found yourself unsure of Jesus's compassion for you. Perhaps you've heard of what he can do, what he has done, perhaps week after week on Sundays, You hear it, you know it, you know Jesus is powerful, you you, you know all these truths. But is he really good? Is he really kind? Is he willing? But what follows is perhaps one of the most beautiful, tangible expressions of Jesus' extraordinary love and compassion. Because we know Jesus can just say the words and this guy can be healed. But he does so much more than that, doesn't he? He reaches out and touches the untouchable. He touches this man. And that's hugely significant. For Jesus, this would have made him ceremonially unclean, according to the Jewish law, for touching a leper. But it's clearly a conscious choice from Jesus. And again, this tangible 
beautiful, vivid demonstration of his compassion for this man. This is a renewed physical connection with a fellow man. Perhaps he'd not experienced that for many, many years. You just imagine the hairs on the back of his neck tingling as Jesus reaches out and, and touches him. What a moment. And as it turns out, the man is cleansed rather than Jesus polluted. I am willing, Jesus says. I am willing. Isn't that good news? But this is more than just, just a healing, a cleansing in, in that kind of way. He, he's given him back his life. Look again at the question that he asked. If you are willing, you can make me clean, he says. Not if you are willing, you can heal me. Perhaps that might be what we would expect him to say. If you are willing, you can make me clean. <clears throat> Jesus is interested in making this man whole, in restoring him to society, mending broken relationships that his disease has, has removed. And so in, in verse four, Jesus says to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. He goes, he tells him to go and show himself to the priest so that he can be declared publicly to be clean, to be able to get back into society. It's striking, isn't it? He is willing, he is able to save completely, to the uttermost, not just to heal, and he, but, but to make us whole. And it's interesting, in, the, in chapter 5 of, of Matthew, verse 17, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. And that's exactly what's going on here. When we were looking at the book of Leviticus some time ago, we, we spent some time looking at the purity laws there. And we saw how powerless those <coughs> laws were to do anything for you. There's no hope in those purity laws, just condemnation. Let's see how what Jesus does here. He, he fulfills the law. He, he does what it cannot do. He heals. He cleanses. He restores this man, restores him in every way possible. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? And after describing the key, uh, all that work, Announcing the kingdom that's coming, the first thing he does is this leper, is, is cleanse and heal and restore this leper. Now it's, it's interesting, it's, it's challenging for us to think uh, on, a, on a global scale, on a local scale. We're in a fragmented, tormented world where lepers of all different kinds are booted out to the outskirts of, of society. And having experienced Jesus' compassion ourselves, shouldn't, shouldn't we extend it to, to those around us too? Who are the lepers that we need to be reaching out to and touching in Jesus' name? Who are the, the outcasts that we need to reach with Jesus' compassion? Who are they in our, 
in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools. It's quite a challenge to, to think about, isn't it? But this is who the king of the kingdom is. This is who he is. So moving on. The second outsider we meet is, uh, is this Gentile centurion. This Gentile centurion there. An outsider who stands out from the crowd. Now, most of us here, here today don't, don't live in, any, in very tight or clear sort of authority structures. Well, there are people we respect at work or, or around us too, and, and perhaps we go along with what they ask us to do, perhaps most of the time when, when it suits us. But in the world of a soldier, the authority structure is absolute. If you're a soldier in a jungle protecting a village from terrorists, you get an order from your senior officer that perhaps you weren't expecting, you obey instantly without hesitation. That's what you're trained to do. Automatic obedience is vital in situations like that. Lives depend on it. Obedience follows orders automatically, machine-like. The centurion that Matthew introduces us here would have known that full well. He's a middle-ranking military officer stationed in Capernaum, probably receiving regular orders from commanders in Caesarea, 50 miles away, probably in charge of, of a peacekeeping force there. But he stands out from the crowd in two ways. First of all, it's his genuine care for his servant. His genuine care for his servant. Verse 6, he comes to the Lord Jesus and says, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Now, in the Roman world at the time, servants, slaves were seen as property. They didn't have the legal rights of personhood. And common practice would be to see slaves as things to be disposed of as and when. On the same level as a garden tool, like your lawnmower. When your lawnmower breaks, you throw it away and get a new one. So when your slave is too sick to work, you get rid, get another one. But not with this guy. There's a genuine care and compassion for his, his servant. He's suffering greatly, and he's determined to do all in his power to get help from, from him. And so he comes to the Lord Jesus. So he stands out because of his care for his servant, but he stands out most of all because of his extraordinary humility and his profound faith. Profound faith. Have a look at verses eight and nine. Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. This centurion knows that coming into the house of a Gentile, for a, for a, a, a non-Jew or an outsider, would be a massive problem for, for a Jew. would be a massive problem, a big no-no for, for Jesus. To come into the house of, of a Gentile would make them ceremony unclean. He knows that. But interestingly, again, Jesus is happy to go into his home. 
the centurion. Remarkable humility. It's to save Jesus from that. Um, and just a, a real simple, humble confidence that this guy has. No need to come to my home, but I know something about authority, being a military man. The orders I give are the orders that come from Rome, that come from Caesar. So when I speak my orders, I speak with the authority of, of Caesar. So I know you can just say the word and my servant will be healed. It's astonishing, isn't it? Astonishing. And, and Jesus is amazed. Actually, I don't think there is another instance where Jesus is amazed. Usually it's the other way around. Everyone's amazed at what Jesus is doing. But Jesus is amazed at this man's faith. This man sees who Jesus really is. Clearly, he sees that he has God's authority over sickness and health. And he knows that if Jesus says, get well, they get well. And this outsider has recognized in Jesus what his own people, even their leaders, had failed to grasp. That Jesus has, is coming with all, all the authority of his father in heaven to bring about the good news of the kingdom. To bring about the restoration of, of all things. He knows that. It's striking verses 11 to 12. Jesus, in response to seeing this man's great faith says this I, I say to you that many will come from the east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth Jesus is saying something that would have been deeply shocking to the religious leaders there at the time listening in he's picturing a the messianic banquet in, in heaven um, with the Messiah, the, the chosen promised rescuer king. Great big banquet. And he's saying that Gentiles, non-Jews, from the east and the west, from all over, will join Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the kind of patriarchs of, of, of uh, the, the Jewish faith. He, he will join them at the, at the table, these outsiders, these Gentiles. They're coming in whilst... The subjects of the kingdom, the Jews, who were, whilst they were experts in Old Testament law, pious, religious, they're going to be booted out. Why? Because entrance to the banquet, entrance to the kingdom, has nothing to do with race or ethnicity or status or what you do or don't do. But it's all to do with faith and trust in Jesus. It's all to do with the humble confidence that Jesus is the one who's going to restore all things that we see so clearly demonstrated in this centurion. The story finishes, verse 13. Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment astonishing isn't it at that very moment again there's challenge for us here as as we we look at this man's faith 
his humble confidence. There is something wonderfully simple about this centurion's humble confidence. I wonder if, if we're too often like the kind of religious elites that we read about in, in the Gospels here. There's nothing humble about their attitude towards God. Perhaps that's the same for us too. We can creep into to that too. There's nothing humble about our attitudes towards God or ourselves. And perhaps we fall into the trap of thinking that actually God owes us a favour for all the boxes that we tick, all the money that we give, all the knowledge and moral purity that we've amassed over time and those kind of things. Maybe we think, well, we've done our bit. Now it's time for you to come through for us. Now you, you owe us. Who are we kidding? Who are we kidding? Let's make 2024 a year where we can resolve to be more like this century in our faith. Well, thirdly, when Jesus, uh, have a look at verses 14 and 15 with me, another outsider. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. Now, again, for for many Jews at the time, touching anyone with a fever, guess what? Makes you unclean. But yet again, Jesus is not defiled by touching Peter's mother-in-law but rather she's cleansed and healed. And notice it's so instantly, so completely that, that straight away she gets up and gets dinner going. That's why that detail's included there, to show the immediacy of Jesus' authority over sickness and his compassion for her. And then after, after healing her, when evening came, Many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. It's quite a picture that's beginning to emerge of the kingdom that Jesus is bringing in, isn't it? And I want us to see how, how fully orbed it is. Actually, it's not just the spiritual act aspects of life that, that's in view here, but the whole person. Lepers are cleansed, sick are healed. Those oppressed by demonic powers of evil are released. And we'll see in a couple of weeks' time, it's not just humanity, but the created order as well. Matthew's giving us a picture of the restorative reign of God. This is the renewal of of all things. This This is the kingdom that Jesus is bringing in. And if you like, these are thumbnail sketches we see here. We, we see in part now, but we'll see fully when, when he comes again, when, when he returns. And, and how does it happen? How does he bring in this, this new kingdom? Well, look at, the, look at the, the last verse in our section. The verse is at the, the center of this chapter. This was to fulfill What was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. At the the centre of this chapter is this quote from Isaiah 53. 
This is one of the most famous bits of the book of Isaiah. <laughs> uh, as the, the suffering servant. Isaiah, Isaiah's prophecies were hundreds of years before Jesus came. Matthew's wanting us to, to see that Jesus is the one who, who brings in the restorative reign of God. But he'll do it by being the suffering servant that Isaiah uh, prophesied and looked forward to. He'll do it, Isaiah 53 verse 5 up on the screen, by being pierced for our transgressions, by being crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. Matthew's wanting to, to, to show us that Jesus' healing miracles point beyond themselves to the cross. The extraordinary truth of the gospel is that the king of the kingdom, the king of the kingdom takes up our infirmities, our diseases, more than that, takes up our iniquities, our, our sin. He takes them up on himself. He is crushed in our place. He takes the punishment that we deserve for our sin so that we can be forgiven, so that we can have peace with God, and so that we can know complete restoration too. Now, forgiveness is essential to what Jesus achieves for us on the cross. Don't get me wrong. But it's not all that he achieves on the cross there. He defeats sin. He defeats death. And he brings in healing and, and wholeness. Let's hang on a moment. We've seen Jesus do these amazing healings. We're talking about Jesus ushering a, a new kingdom and restoring all things. Can I expect healing today? Perhaps that's a question that's in your minds as we kind of look through questions like that. Maybe for some of us, this is, this is just a sort of intellectually curious question. Maybe for some of us, maybe for many of us, this is a profoundly personal question for those that we love or maybe even ourselves. Can we expect Jesus to heal us today? Well, this is a very live question for me personally. And many of you will know my, my mum is suffering from a type of dementia and it's brutal will she be healed and restored yes yes she will here and now but i don't want to put limits on what jesus can and can't do he loves to burst through categories that we and boxes that we try and contain in him will will she be healed here and now maybe maybe not Miracles do happen. But one day, when Jesus comes again, when he restores all things finally and wonderfully, she will be restored gloriously. Mind and body, she'll stand before her Lord Jesus that she loves now and see him face to face and feel the warmth of his embrace for all eternity. Why? Because like the leper, like the centurion, she has a humble confidence in the Lord Jesus. 
the king that we see in these verses. The king who bore her infirmities, her diseases, her sin. Her confidence is in him. He's risen, he's reigning, and he will come again. And she will be gloriously restored. That's the hope that we have. So these are snapshots that we see here. But one day we know that this will be the final and and full reality. This is where we're headed. So as we finish, let me read again the verses that we started our service with. As we pray. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. And there's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven and prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that these words are trustworthy and true. We thank you that we can be confident of this because you bore our infirmities and diseases and our sin. There's nothing special about us. We don't deserve your grace or your kindness or your mercy. But such is your love. Such is your power and authority. That you have lavished it on us. And if we're trusting in you, this is where we're headed. Full and glorious restoration. Full and free forgiveness now and one day. We'll be able to see you face to face and feel your embrace. Help us to long for that day. Help us to to proclaim the good news of this day to all around. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to finish singing of the great hope that we, we have. Christ, our hope in life and death.